previous three weeks in Habakkuk, we learned uh, quite a bit of stuff. We learned of Habakkuk's first and second complaints to God. I think it's fair to say his first and second complaints against God, and we learned of God's answers to those. Habakkuk's first complaint was that Judah, his own nation, seemed to be getting away with wickedness, that God seemed to be tolerating evil. And Habakkuk was not at all happy about this. God assured Habakkuk that he was not tolerating evil, that in fact he was at that very moment raising up the nation of Babylon as a world power, and Babylon was going to be used by God as an instrument to bring discipline, to bring judgment to Judah. And you'd think Habakkuk would have been happy that he was getting from God what he wanted from God, but he wasn't happy. And that was because he did not approve of how God was handling the situation. Now let's stop and really think about that sentence for just a moment. Habakkuk did not approve of how God was handling the situation. How many times do we, how many times do you, disapprove of how God does something or doesn't do something that we want? Here's a simple question for you today. If God himself can't get the approval of people for how he does things, what chance do any of the rest of us have? That'll preach, as they say, but, but we'll move on. Habakkuk wasn't happy, and he didn't approve of what God was doing because he considered Babylon more evil than Judah. And he didn't think that God should use a more evil nation to bring judgment on a more righteous nation. Of course, over the last few weeks, we talked about how it's highly questionable that Judah really should be considered a more righteous nation, but Habakkuk thought so. And so God answered Habakkuk again, and he assured him that after he used Babylon to judge Judah, then, uh, then Babylon itself would also uh, be judged. So that took us through the first two weeks of the series. And then last week, we looked at chapter 3. Habakkuk had complained, and God had answered him twice, and then having his answers and facing the impending judgment of Judah in verses 2 through 15 of chapter two last, or of chapter 3 last week, we considered Habakkuk's prayer. He remembered the awesome ways that God had acted on behalf of his people in times past, and he pleaded with God to do it again. God, what you did back then in the past... I want you to do it again in the here and now. And we noted last week how that's a great prayer for us to pray today. God, what you did in the past when you healed my marriage, or you delivered me from addiction, or you delivered me from fear, or you healed a broken relationship, do it again, God. What you did for me, someone else needs. Do it again, for them. What you did for someone else, I need. Do it again for me. That season of life when I was my most effective at sharing my faith, do that again in me, God. 
It's a great prayer. Do it again, God. And then we wrapped up last week by noting that Habakkuk appealed to God that in the midst of wrath, wrath was coming on Judah, in the midst of wrath that God would remember mercy. And I've appealed to us to be people who desire mercy for those who are far from God. Let's not be the people, let's not be the church that's quick to pronounce judgment on others. Let's be the people who appeal to God for mercy for our family, our friends, our city, and for the world. Let's be the people who say, God, if we can find one righteous person, will you be merciful to this whole place? Let's be those kind of people that appeal to God for mercy. So now we come to the conclusion of the prayer, which the text indicates was set to music and it was probably sung as a song in temple worship, and it's verses 16 through 19. So if we put that on the screen, if you have your Bibles and want to read from there, that's great. Uh, I'll read, you follow along as I do. Habakkuk says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. So we're going to approach this section of Scripture by highlighting three words, two that are mentioned in the text and one that is implied. The three words we're going to highlight are waiting, trusting, and rejoicing. We see in the text that Habakkuk is waiting. He is waiting for the judgment to come upon his own people. Now knowing that once God brings the judgment to his own people, he is then going to turn and unleash his power and unleash his judgment upon the Babylonians themselves. But here's the fact. The next thing to come, the, the, the next step in the chronology of events is that before God deals with Babylon... He is about to deal with Judah, Habakkuk's own people. And that thought, the reality of that, was terrifying to Habakkuk. Verse 16, I heard what God had to say, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. The Babylonians were fearsome, ruthless, and they were coming for Judah. And so he, he's terrified. Verse 17, he, he knows what this is going to mean. We're entering into a time where the fig tree is not going to bud, there aren't going to be any grapes on the vines, the olive crops are going to fail, the, the fields won't produce food, there won't be sheep in the pen, there won't be cattle in the stalls. 
we can summarize this really succinctly, dark days are coming. And the dark days are terrifying to Habakkuk. He's waiting for the dark days that he and Judah have to go through. There's no other option. They are going through these dark days. They, They don't get to say, hey, God, is there, is there a different plan that we could choose? Like, hey, God, um, Judah and all of us, you know, like we got together, we took a survey, we're not really into the dark days thing, and so could we have a different plan? Like, there was none of that. God said, this is what's happening. Babylon is coming. The path forward for you is dark and terrifying days. They were waiting Waiting for trouble. Waiting can be an excruciating experience. We all know this, don't we? Waiting for a test result. Excruciating. Is the test going to be positive or negative? I mean, there are some tests we have that, you know, it's not that big a deal, but some of them are a big deal. And the difference between positive and negative is huge. Life impacting. And, and, and it's terrifying waiting for that result. Waiting for the salvation of a loved one, but not being sure it's ever going to happen. It, it's heart-wrenching. Knowing that some big challenge is coming down the path toward you. Maybe it's a confrontation you can't avoid anymore and you've been working up the courage for it for some time. It, such things can cause the heart to race and the knees to weaken Waiting when you've done all you can, but you're not sure it was enough to produce the outcome that you hoped for. And all you can do is wait and see. You have no control. You just wait. Waiting is challenging. Waiting can be a very scary thing. And it was for Habakkuk because he knew that really dark days were coming. And even though he knew that on the other side of those dark days, God was going to unleash his power on behalf of Judah, he still knew the path of God's power being unleashed against Babylon and the better days for Judah went directly through extremely dark and troubling days. You know, as Christians, if we know the Bible, we know the ultimate outcome of history, don't we? We we know that there is a better day ahead. We know that. We know that in the end, God wins. We know that in the end, all things are made right. We know that in the end, we live forever with Christ on the renewed earth. We know, as believers, how the story ends. And yet, between here and there, we are likely to go through some really tough stuff. And even if we're people who are... um, Let me say that differently. If we are not people who are privileged to live at the very end of the age, 
when Christ returns. With each passing year, each and every one of us get closer to that moment when we will individually, one by one, pass from this life to the next life. And so we know that between now and the end of history, whether it is going through tough things that history is going to bring to us, or whether it is going through some tough things ourselves, personally, things like our own mortality, one way or another, none of us are getting out of this thing without some very trying times. We're waiting for Christ's return. We're waiting for Christ's ultimate victory. We're waiting for eternal life, but it's not here yet. We're waiting, and trouble lies between here and there. This is the position Habakkuk was in, waiting, waiting. But Habakkuk wasn't just waiting. That's not the only thing he was doing. He was doing something else. Habakkuk was trusting. He was trusting God. In the face of impending calamity that caused his heart to pound, his lips to quiver, his legs to tremble, Habakkuk was able in that moment to trust God. In Habakkuk's complaints to God and God's answers to Habakkuk, God had given Habakkuk insight into what was coming in the future. Habakkuk went from kind of flying blind to knowing what was ahead. Not the exact timing, but knowing in an overview type way what was coming. Didn't have all the details, but God had revealed the big picture to him. He had told him what he was up to. And there is no doubt, uh, I believe, that this increased Habakkuk's ability to trust God. And so we might be sitting here today thinking, uh, you know, God, I wish that you would do for me what you did for Habakkuk. I wish you would talk to me like you talked to Habakkuk. I wish that you would let me know, at least give me a big picture of what's happening. And as I've already said here today, I want to emphasize again, God has done that exact thing for every one of us here today. He has done it. That's what this book, the Bible, is. It is God's revelation of himself and his plans and his purposes for you and me and the entire world. He doesn't give us every detail of what the future holds, but he has given us the big picture. We know that Jesus Christ is coming again. We know that all who believe in him receive eternal life and will actually enter into eternal life, the experience of eternal life. We know that the evil one will be permanently defeated. We know that the earth will be renewed. We know that God will make all things new. He will make all things right. We know that we will live forever as God intended from the beginning. God has given us insight into what the future holds. And I believe he has done so in order to strengthen our faith so that we can more fully trust him just like he did 
with Habakkuk. So when you read these stories in the Old Testament and God's talking to someone, you say, oh God, I, I wish you would do that for me. Remember, God has done that for you. God has done that for you. God didn't give Habakkuk all the information he might have wanted, but he had given him insight into what he was up to in the world, and so Habakkuk was able to trust in his sovereign God. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. So Habakkuk trusts sovereign God. He comes to understand that God is his strength for all that lies ahead. And when Habakkuk references God making his feet like the feet of a deer, he's basically saying that God will sustain him over the rough and uneven places in life. Like deer can traverse treacherous terrain because they're so agile and smooth, God can cause Habakkuk to, to be able to traverse the dark days that are ahead. God will lead him through the rough places, the uneven places, the rocky places. It's true that calamity is coming, is coming but Habakkuk is, is confident that God will provide for him in such a way that he's going to be able to traverse over that calamity like a deer traverses a rocky hillside. And so we see in the text that Habakkuk is waiting, Habakkuk is trusting, and there's something else that he's doing. And it's so important to continually keep the context in mind. Judgment is coming. Calamity is on its way. There's a time where no grapes are going to be on the vines and the fields aren't going to produce any food. All of that is lying directly ahead. And yet Habakkuk does not just wait and Habakkuk does not just trust, but the text tells us Habakkuk rejoices. He rejoices. It's true, Habakkuk knows. We're coming on a time where there aren't going to be sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls. He, he acknowledges this. Then what's he say? Yet. Yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Hey, we're facing some tough stuff. We're not facing anything worse than the Babylonians coming. We are not. Here's why Habakkuk can rejoice during the dark days. Because he has come to know and believe. He has come to accept at the heart level that God really is in control. And that God will be with him no matter what. Friends, listen. If, if a church, a pastor, has ever told you that God has promised us an easy path, hear me today. God has never promised us an easy path. You cannot find that promise anywhere in the Bible. It is not there. 
And, and honestly, this is one of the biggest challenges, I think, that people have to faith and one of the biggest temptations people face in turning away from God is they become convinced that God did promise an easy path. And then when an easy path can't be found, they are disillusioned and they are angry with God and they turn away from God. But if you can settle in your heart and your mind once and for all that the God who loves you has never promised the easy path, he's only promised he'll be with you through the difficult path, it's going to help your faith tremendously. There is no such promise in the Bible. We don't get the promise of an easy path. But what God does is He assures us over and over and over again that in the difficulty, we can trust Him because He is in control and because he will be with us no matter what we're going through in life. He will be with us. It is my prayer that God would grant each person here today the gift of faith so that you could believe, you would believe, that you would know deep down in your spirit that God is in control. And he will be with you every moment of your life. He'll be with you even in the most trying circumstances. And it's my prayer that we'd all come to the place where we trust God, trust Christ so completely that we can say with absolute honesty that God is our everything. That as long as Christ is with us, we know we'll be okay. Christ is enough for me. May that be true for all of us here today. Christ is enough. It's good when you and I can walk together and support one another. But if we're in a lonely season, may it be true for all of us that Christ is enough. You can get to that place in your faith. You really can. And it's my prayer that we all do. So I have a few questions for us this morning. Here's the first one. What are you facing that has you concerned, scared, or maybe terrified? Habakkuk was terrified by what was coming. But he knew God was in control, so he was able to trust, he was able to rejoice. Whatever you're facing today that is troubling you, whatever it is, there is a confidence in God that you can have that will enable you in the face of that thing to fully entrust yourself to him. And even though I'll be honest, I don't always and probably don't even often live in this place, um, there, there is a place in God we can get to remain joyful even in life's most challenging circumstances. If you're not living in that reality today, I would say that any of us who aren't, we need to ask God to reveal himself to us in such a way 
that we're really able to trust him and then rejoice in him even in that trial. It is possible. And here's the beautiful thing. When this becomes true in a person's life, we get this glorious benefit that's called peace. It's called peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. When we can fully trust God. Here's another question. What have you desired that hasn't come about and all you can do is wait? Some of you are waiting and hoping for the salvation of someone you love. Some of you are waiting and hoping for a call confirming that you've gotten the new job. Some of you are waiting and hoping for a love interest to come into your life. Some of you are waiting and hoping for smoother waters ahead. Whatever you're waiting and hoping for, like Habakkuk was looking beyond the judgment of Judah and looking forward to the day when God would deliver Judah from Babylon. Like Habakkuk, trust God's sovereignty. Rest in God's love and care for you. And trust that if God has what you desire for you, God will get you through where you're at now to that thing if that's what's best for you. God will do that for you. Until that thing you desire comes. Or, even if it never comes. Remember, God knows if the things we desire are what are right for us or not. God knows better than we know what is good for us. And so if that thing you desire comes, or even if it never comes, God is enough for you. God is enough for me. May we know that. May we really believe it. And may we live in that reality and the peace that it brings us. Here's the third question, and it's going to be repetitive with some things that I've already said, but I just felt to emphasize it yet again. The third question, has God given us insight into what he's doing in the world? The answer is an emphatic yes. If you feel like God has left you hanging, if you feel like God has left you without any, you know, clarity on what, like what lies ahead, respectfully, I, respectfully, I just say you're feeling that way because you haven't spent the necessary time in God's Word to learn what God has told us about the future and about our role and what He has for us. And so... The Bible is God's answer to our question, God, what are you up to in the world? The Bible's our answer to that. In the Bible, we learn what God has done in the world in the past. We learn what God is doing in the world right now. And we learn what God is going to do in the future. We, we learn about where everything is leading, not every detail, but we get an overview of where everything is headed. And so if you feel like you're out there like, God, I, I, I need to know something. I, I need some direction. I need to know where you're taking this thing. The answers are there. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Really get to know the Bible. And as you do, I am absolutely positive that your confidence in God will grow. Your confidence in what God is doing in the world will grow. 
and your confidence about your place in God's plan and what he's doing in the world will grow. And finally, the last question, what enabled Habakkuk to face all he was facing and still rejoice in the Lord? What enables us to face all the challenging circumstances of life and still experience joy and still rejoice? What enables us to rejoice and even sing? Remember, this was set to music, was likely used in temple worship. What enables us to rejoice and even sing while we're waiting and while we're in the midst of trouble? It's the answer is what we learned in Habakkuk 2.4. The answer is in the title of this sermon series. The righteous live by faith. The righteous live by faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not yet realized, not yet experienced. They know, the righteous know, that God is in control. And they know, the righteous know, that they can trust God no matter what. The righteous live by faith. May that be true for every single person here today. Why don't you stand?